Here we go. Just get started. We're going to ask you to take your Bibles, go to Second Peter, Second Peter one, so we can just continue our start, start our study that we're going to do on on studying your Bible. But while you're doing that, just to get ourselves woken up. And by the way, ushers, when you're done, if you turn the fans back, please, so those underneath don't get chilled. Here, uh, let's just do a little bit of brain teasing just to wake up here before we get into our study. Name something you watch out for when you're driving. Pedestrians. Deer, animals are going to be up there. The other drivers, motorcycles. I don't know if motorcycles are up there. There's an obvious that nobody's yet mentioned. Okay. The police, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Here we go. The red lights is what they said. Potholes, bicycles, animals, police, other drivers, and number one was pedestrians. Name something that gives people the chills. Cold, cold weather. What's that? Fans? <laughs> Fans above you can do it. Absolutely. Okay. Ice cream. Spiders? Okay. Nails on chalkboard. The problem is there's no more nails because there's no more chalkboards. Yeah. That's not, we, have, we, have, we remember this. Yeah, we're dating ourselves. That's why. Yes. yes. <laughs> Date, snakes, ice cream, nails on chalkboard, cold drink, cold weather, bug spiders. Number one was a scary movie. Uh, when a woman gets a bad haircut and hates it, what might she do to make herself feel better? Get her nails done? <laughs> Go shopping? For real? You don't know. Okay. Okay. Wear a hat. What's that? Chocolate. Chocolate's a major food group, so yeah, man, it's good for everything. Chocolate covers everything. It's, it's the Christian's heroine. It just covers everything, right? Here we go. Color her hair. Eat. Recut her hair. Get her nails done. There we go. Wear a hat. Wear a wig. And number one was go shopping. Yeah, there you go. Name something you turn off at the end of each day. Lights, your mind. (laughs) What's that? Hearing aids? (laughs) What's that? The water? You turn off the water? Okay, I don't think water's up there. Your brain or your mind, your computer, TV, and lights and lamps. Name something people cut. Grass. Hair, trees, nails. What's steaks? Yeah, okay, here we go. Coupons, I don't think is up there. Classes, nails, fingers, grass, meat, paper, and number one was hair. Name an animal whose legs you eat. Chicken, frogs, lamb. So far you've got them up there. Pigs up there. Yak is not up there. Lamb, we said already. Crab, rabbit, turkey, pig, lamb, frogs, and chicken was number one. Name something some say men have in common with dogs. Lazy. Lazy, sleeping. The bark is worse than their bite. <laughs> I'm not going to make it through this class. <laughs> Bag and wine. 
that is not true. We know it's not true, don't we? Yeah. Growl at people. Loyal, best friend. See, nobody thought positive, but some of <laughs> Bark a lot, make noise, eat a lot. Number one was not scratch. Number one was lazy, lie around an awful lot. Name a high-paying occupation. Doctor, preacher, preacher, lawyer. What's that? Athlete. Okay. Pilots, politicians, lawyers, actor, president, doctor, and number one was? 100 people answered the preacher. Way overpaid. Absolutely. Here we go. Take your Bibles. Let's go to Second Peter. Here's what we're doing. We're studying right now. We're going to do this for a few weeks. We're going to do some practical things and some theological things on studying our Bible and uh, getting more out of it and trying to make it, uh, make it helpful. Why do people struggle with their Bibles? Here is their Bible reading, their Bible study. Here is what we've heard over the last year in Bible studies, things like that. These are, you may have other reasons, but here are some of the major reasons we've heard people talk about of late. Um, number one, people will say it's really hard to understand their Bible. Now, that is really true, especially as you go through church history. If you go back in the beginning of church history and you start, now remember, we're 2,000 years plus into church history. During that period of time, why was it so difficult for most people to study their Bibles, to read the Bibles? They, they didn't have one. They didn't have one, number one. You said they couldn't read. Okay? Those are practical reasons that we are living in a, in a society, in a time period that we have more Bibles than most people did in, in, throughout church history. We have the ability to read far more than go back in, 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 you know, a couple hundred years ago. A lot of people didn't read period. And so uh, when you go back into the church history, it was really hard to study because you had a lot of false teachings out there, a lot of corruption. It started, by the way, the corruption and false teaching started when? When in church history did it start? Okay, the very beginning. Does the book of Acts deal with a lot of false teaching? Does Paul write epistles about with false teachers in mind? Oh, yeah. So it's been there from early on, and that confused the people. The limited education, the ability to read, the limited copies of the Bible. Remember that up until what, what device made a huge difference in reading? Okay, the printing press. So it was in the middle of the 1400s when we get a printing press that the books started coming. Otherwise, who had Bibles? Okay, typically the church, and it was, they would be chained to the church or in a monastery, and even after the printing press, who had Bibles? Okay, the clergy had it, but then what class of people? Only the wealthy would have it, okay? Even, in, even up into colonial America, there was, books were not readily available to people. It was the middle and upper class that had some books, like Bibles and things like that, even in America. Most, uh, most scriptures, remember, were written in a church language. Through most of church history, when they did record in the first thousand years, at least up until around 1400, what language was the Bible in? Latin. Okay, for the most part, it was in Latin. Who read the Latin? the clergy, the priests, and so it was very limited. Even those groups that we would say are our spiritual ancestors, and I, and I hold to this historically, I don't think we're Protestants. 
We are part of that element of the church, the gates of hell not prevailing against it. There was always a time period, even before the Reformation, where there was groups of believers. The church did not dis- get, get uh, wiped out when all of a sudden went into you know, the Middle Ages and the Catholicism and that you know, church hierarchy. The true church was still there, and they were independent small groups. Even those individuals were very limited in what they could do for Bible study because unless you knew Latin, you were very, very limited, unless you had access to the scriptures. Then there was also, during most of church history, there was a teaching that was called sacerdotalism, is the theological term. Sacerdotalism, if we were to preach it here and teach this type of thing, would basically say, I am better than you because, and it's not the idea that, I'm talking me personally, am better than all of you because I'm the preacher. Okay, sacerdotalism basically says clergy is up here, lay people are here. Okay, only clergy should be able to study scripture. Well, that would make sense if you want, if you believe that, that you would keep keep the Bible in what language? Church language, right? Into Latin. So you're keeping people because, because we keep it that way because we who are clergy, we understand. You can't. We can interpret scripture. In fact, the verse that they used is in Second Peter chapter 1. In Second Peter chapter 1, there's a passage that he's talking about, and there's two possible interpretations. And the church, when we say the historically, the historical mainline church, Catholic church, and even into the Protestant Reformation, some of them, they said this, verse on, uh, go down to verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is, what's your Bible read? It is not of any private interpretation. What's that mean? Okay. Okay, what, what was, what's the interpretation done by mainline theological, mainline denominations is, it is of no private interpretation. They took this to mean you can't privately interpret it. You can't personally interpret Scripture. Okay. It is, uh, no, the Scripture is not of your interpretation. Basically, we have to interpret it for you. Okay. And so it's not of any private interpretation. There's another totally different inter- translate, uh, interpretation of that verse, saying that it isn't to be restricted. It's not of a limited interpretation. That instead it should be broadcast and it was designed for who? For everyone. Those are two opposite explanations of that same verse. And uh, which one would you hold to? The second one, obviously, that you would do it. But here's, so, so you know, when we read in history, and we know that, that a lot of our forefathers, even our spiritual forefathers, keep this in mind, when you do some history and you study groups that are basically lumped together and they're called Anabaptists, you look and they say, well, they don't believe everything the way we did. That's because they had limited Bibles. That's because they didn't have full text. They would work on what they had. And uh, that's because the time, the era that they lived in. And so basically, personal Bible study was forbidden. Um, it's still, in, in some churches, this is still true today. Correct? Now, I grew up in a church that told us when we got saved and some of our family members went to talk with the clergy about what we are doing and why we're leaving that faith. They told us, you are not allowed to study the Bible. 
The Bible is not for you to interpret as an individual. We have to interpret it for you. So this, this idea is still there, um, and it's still true in some churches that they still forbid it. And so what happened in, in church history, this is important because this affects Bible study, in the Middle Ages, all of a sudden there was a change. You call it the Renaissance. You might recall, recall it Reformation. All of a sudden there was a, there's a big transition. And the major transition that happened in that movement was Bible study. Bible study, Bible study. And the way that they, it made a huge difference was they, there was two things that happened in church history that made a huge difference for people to be able to Bible read and Bible study. Well, one of them is the, the printing press, where all of a sudden now, the, before this, the Bibles were copied by who? The clergy in the monastery, so it was totally controlled. All of a sudden you bring it into the printing press, and the reason they are duplicating Bibles is... By the way, by the way, this makes a lot of things happen. Okay, so businesses started doing printing, and what book are they going to sell? That's going to be the number one bestseller, the Bible. So the Bible started getting, getting copied. Why? Because it was a popular item to buy. So commercially, with the printing press, all of a sudden it wasn't restricted to one area. Isn't God wise in letting this to happen? So that all of a sudden now the Bible, because commercialism, is starting to get expanding all over. Well, that was great. But the, still the big problem was you're getting lots of Bibles, a lot more Bibles, but... Unless you know, unless you read, number one, and number two, you have to read Latin, you're not going to understand it. So what happened around that same time was there was a number of preachers, most of them were from the Anabaptist history. What did they start doing? Translating Bible into what language? German was one of them. English was another one. Why, why did they pick German? Why did they pick English? The common language. It's called putting it in the common vernacular. That means put it in a language that is of the people. So where did they start interpreting the Bible in German? What, what, what country? This is, yeah, this isn't a trick question. Okay, you're, in, you're translating to German for what people? The Germans. You're translating it into English for... Yeah, and the idea of these translators was, okay, what we want to do is we want to get in the common vernacular, and so some of these guys historically are very, very, very uh, popular. King James translation happens, and it's authorized by the government, but when it's all done, then he doesn't authorize it after all, but then it ends up being called the authorized version, but King James never did actually authorize it afterwards because he didn't like some of the translation. The reason he didn't like the King James translation, it was too common speaking. It wasn't high sounding and reverent sounding. By the way, why do some people not like modern translations? Okay. I'm talking now, today. Today they don't like it because it doesn't sound. Okay, that was the same criticism of the King James, and that's why King James, he backed away from it after he had authorized the people to do it because it didn't sound reverential enough. So it's kind of funny. The same claims are made over the same translations. So uh, these were some of the common ones that started coming out. And as, as they started becoming in common language, that allowed people to start reading it more and more. And by the way, in history, from what you know, what major church movement do we talk about right around this same period of time? The Protestant Reformation, 
Because what did people have in their hands for the first time? Bible in their tongue that they could understand. So um, that all had a huge difference. Now, that is what, why our ancestors could say it was tough to study the Bible. You and I have so much more benefits than what people did two, three, four hundred years ago when it comes to Bible study. You know, start thinking about the benefit, the ease with which we can study the Bible. You start looking at it and go, wait a minute, we, like them, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, he helps translate it for us. We have teachers. We also have in America, we have the benefit that most of the church teachers are people who have had formal training. Now, in some countries that we heard about during the missions conference, that's the problem is we have to help get training to, the, to those who are teaching uh, because they don't have that formal, I'm going to use a term here that's very important, systematic Bible study. That is learning, not just grabbing a verse here, grabbing a verse there, and grabbing a verse there, but learning how it all works together. It's a huge difference in teaching when you put it all together and you're, you're seeing, okay, when I teach this, I have to make sure it agrees with everything else. And so that systematic understanding, we have that real benefit compared to others. We have the personal education. Our education is much better than uh, other people 200, 300, 400 years ago. We also have this huge benefit. We have multiple translations that really help us in our Bible study. It is amazing that you can, you can take different Bibles. I, I use the King James most all the time, and, uh, and I enjoy it. But in my personal study, I also use other translations, and it is amazing how sometimes those other translations will help give clarity. And so we are very, very blessed in that regard. We also live in a time period where we have so much at our disposal. You go on the Internet, folk, you can find a lot of commentaries. You can find, make sure you're, they're good ones. But you can, we can find survey. We can find historical information about settings. We are so blessed to live in this day and age with so many tools to do Bible study. Uh, you, you don't even need a huge home library anymore. You've got a lot of this on the Internet that you can go and you can just get this information which will help you understand background and passage and context. And it's huge. We are so blessed in that regard. Plus, we today have freedom to study our Bible. We have the openness to study. And yet we still say, wow, it's just too hard. It's just too hard. It, it's, it's, you know, it, it's really perspective. It's really where am I going to focus my attention. Now, some people will say, okay, that, uh, that it's really hard to understand, okay, but, but keep this in mind. God intended all levels of maturity in the Christian world to understand the Bible. In 1 John, the reason I say this, 1 John he writes and he says, I write unto you little children. He's not talking toddlers, He's talking little children spiritually. I write unto you, and he's saying, by essence of saying it, he's saying, okay, you can understand this as well, little children spiritually. And I write unto you, he says, fathers, the older uh, saints. I write unto you, young men, because you overcome the wicked one. All different levels of ages can understand the scriptures. He's writing it unto them. God never intended that only one select group or age of Christian is supposed to be able to have the Bible. It is open to each and every one of us. Now, others will say, the reason I struggle with Bible study, it's very boring. Um, my, my retort to that is real, real simple. It's just, it's such an exciting book. Maybe the problem is the way you read it or your expectations. But we'll talk about some ways to read it that will make it not so boring. Some will say, my life is just too busy. And the response to that is, we make time for things we think are important. That's just a reality of our lives. 
all of us do this. If we think it's important to watch you know, something on TV, we will make the time to watch it. If we think it's important to go shopping, we will make the time to do it. If we think it's important to work on the lawn, we will make the time to do it. And so the busyness if, is, is usually just uh, something that you and I have to say, okay, what are my priorities? In-depth Bible study, and, and I've heard this, we've, I've had people visit our church that I visited afterwards, and um, <clears throat> The comment is, I don't like the idea that you take notes into the, into the pulpit. Okay, why is that? Because you should just be led by the Spirit to preach whatever. You know, and what the problem is, when you study, you, you just, you know, it, it affects people's heads and it doesn't get into their heart. That, that phrase that goes with this, the phrase that people often say, cemeteries, uh, I'm sorry, seminaries are cemeteries. Is that a possibility? Yeah, yeah. But does it have to be that way? Does education have to take away the heart? I don't think so. I don't think so. So don't let somebody convince you that it's bad to study the Bible because it takes away some of the oomph. That's just not true in many areas of the life. So, you know, it's beneficial, it's helpful. And uh, that, that's like saying, if you really love cooking, you should never follow a recipe. Okay, well, I like to eat, so I hope you follow a recipe because, you know, uh, that's beneficial. So you and I go, okay, okay, that, that might be a claim, but I think it's a spurious claim. And I think it's a dangerous claim that we shouldn't study the Bible because then all of a sudden it makes us head smart, life dumb. I think if we approach the Bible properly, we will become head smart and life smart. And so there's a benefit that way. God commands us to study the Bible. We have so many passages. Um, there are so many different ideas out there. I'm not sure who to listen to. It's so confusing. So I'm just going to avoid it altogether. You know, uh, just, you know it, it's difficult. And uh, you know, if I pick up something on the Internet, I might pick up something wrong. Or I may, so I'm just not going to bother studying. Well, that, that's just, there's, you know, there's... The, the logic is just fa- is false. There are so many bad drivers out there, so you're never going to drive again. Yes, no? You, you don't do that. There are so many stores that charge too much, and you don't like them, so you're never going shopping again. No, you, you, we don't do that in other areas. Besides, if there are contradicting interpretations, if there are conflicting interpretations, is that a problem with the Bible? No, the problem is Where? With, with the people and how we interpret it. You know, the problem is usually with us, and there are, there are some really important areas, and we need to talk about this, okay? I, I don't mean to be boring with it, but this is really important. How you approach your Bible is really important. Um, let, let me give you an illustration. Two people are sitting down doing the Bible study. This person believes that all the miracles are true. They believe this. They believe God can miraculously, God exists and miraculously works in society. And so they believe in the supernatural. This person picks up their Bible and they don't believe in miracles. Will that be two different interpretations of the Bible? Oh, absolutely. This person comes and says, I believe in a literal interpretation of Scripture. What it says when it makes when the common sense makes perfect sense, seek no other sense. So I read my Bible. This person says the only part of the Bible that's inspired is that which inspires me. Would that be two different interpretations? Oh yeah. So how you approach your Bible is really critical. Uh, it's, it's it's like what pair of glasses do you wear? Okay. 
You can wear one that really helps you to see clearly, or you can just go and get a pair of glasses and put them on. That doesn't mean you see clearly. You've done that. You've picked up other people's glasses, or you've, those of you who didn't, you just you wear them, you just put something on. And the, the lens by which you look really makes a difference in interpretation. Um, there's two basic interpretations in, in our region of Bible churches throughout America. There is dispensationalism, and then there is covenant theology. They are two really different points of view, but they're approaching the Bible. Um, and, and for instance, some would say, okay, what do we do with the Old Testament? Should we follow the dietary laws or not? There's groups here in central PA that teach we should follow dietary laws, that we shouldn't be eating such foods as pork. Okay, it's wrong. <clears throat> and by the way, does the Bible forbid pork? It did, doesn't not? Doesn't it say, you can find a passage that says don't eat, it won't say pork, but don't eat. Yeah, you can find a verse that says that. Yes, no? Okay, okay. Then, so you look and say, well, if it's in the Bible, it must be for me. Is that dangerous? It really is. It really is, because if you say if it's in the Bible, it's for me, then, then we have to go back all the way to the dietary laws then we should be bringing animals to church. Now, you look next to whoever's sitting next to you, and you might say, I did, okay? Because, you know, they're lazy and they're like a dog. Um, That whole approach, and it's huge, this approach of, of, okay, interpreting, and it's something really simple. And And I hear this all the time. People will say, well, the Bible doesn't clarify which one of those major points of view that we should come with. It certainly does. It's stated, and and people will, here, we teach dispensations and a dispensational approach. The attack on that approach is it only showed up in the 1300s, and then the 1800s revisited with, with Darby. And so it's a modern point of view. That's just not true accurately. We're going to show you that from the book of Ephesians, it talks about dispensationalism and how you should approach your Bible in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. It uses the very terms dispensations. And how that point of approaching your Bible will make all the difference in your application and interpretation. But you have to have the right lens. And so that's very important that we come to it with the right Bible study and the right presuppositions. Presupposition, do you believe the Bible is inspired by God? Yes or no? Okay, does that make a difference compared to somebody who says it's not inspired? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's huge. All of that is, is so important. So it's a lens. We'll talk about it. Some good reasons for Bible study. Let me do this quickly um, and then get into some of uh, some other areas that are very important as we lay our foundation for this whole discussion. The, Bible's in, the Bible tells us that God wants us to study his word. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable. Jesus said, and this is during the temptation, man shall not live by bread alone, but what proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, there is something really important in this discussion that I haven't touched on yet, okay? And it's in that first statement, okay? The reason we study our Bible is because the Bible is God's word to us. I've made a presupposition. My presupposition that I accept by faith is that God inspired the Bible. Now, do you accept that as well? Okay, that the Bible's inspired. If somebody comes to you and says... How do you know it's inspired? 
how would you respond to them? How would you, it says so is a good reason, okay? And they're going to say, yeah, but if it's inspired, what about the mistakes in the Bible? What about the contradictions in the Bible? And I'm going to respond the same way you just did. Warren, I'm going to respond and say, well, show it to me. Because they have heard it, but, and they've believed what they heard, but, it's, but they can't show them. There's, there's, um, in, in Peter, he writes, he says, that we are supposed to be able to give to every man an answer of the reason of the hope that is within us. Okay? And so you have to be able to explain to your children, to somebody else, why you believe the Bible is inspired. Now, l- let me back up. Let me, let me do it this way. You got into your car this morning, um, and I would dare say most of you did not give your car a thorough, thorough examination before you got in and drove here this morning. Most of you didn't. You got into the car, you turned on the key, you drove down the street, you stepped on the gas, you hit the brakes, and you did it based on faith that that car was going to work. Does that make sense? Okay. What did you base that faith on? Past history. Past experience. Knowledge that certain things make your car go. You probably, when you got in the car, one of the things, if you're like me, and my wife's driven the car for a while beforehand, one of the first things I'm going to check when I get in the car and start it up is the gas gauge. Okay? Because my wife thinks E is enough. And I know that E means... Yes, okay. And so we get in, and we know that if there's enough gas, and we know if the idiot lights aren't flashing, that with our mechanical knowledge that the car is supposed to go. I mean, you get out, you might walk to the car, and if you see a tire, here's your car, and you see a tire laying next to it. Your knowledge of mechanics would say what? Don't drive that car. Okay, um, or if you're driving and all of a sudden smoke is coming out from under the hood or flames are coming out, your great mechanical skills say, yeah, okay, you're not going to drive anymore. Your faith has, give, has stopped. But your faith is based upon evidential knowledge. Your faith is based on evidences, whether it be experience or facts. I believe the Bible to be inspired. I accept it by faith. But my faith is not this leap in the dark. My faith is based upon evidential facts that support the idea that the Bible is inspired by God. What evidential facts? I'm going to look at those next week for you. Okay, We're going to explain. How do you respond to somebody who says, how do you know your Bible's inspired? Why do you believe your Bible? I know it's inspired by faith. Okay? Um, and the reason I accept that is evidential knowledge, okay? And evidences within the word and without the word that give indication. And so we, we step by faith. So with that, let's just continue with our premise this morning. God's word is God's word. It's inspired and given to us. God, therefore, commands us to read it. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that needs not be ashamed. By the way, this idea of study is a command in scriptures. The word that is used for, for here he goes, he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is a really interesting word from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was by trade. Remember his job? Well, he was a tent maker. When you're, when you're sowing, 
what is one of the important things you, you do when you're cutting out stuff? Oh, let me, let, me, let me give you an illustration. Some of you are helping to cut out the Betty Lucan's felt graph material, flannel board stuff, okay? What is really important when you take a scissors and cut out those figures? Okay, you follow the pattern. Okay, why won't you have your kids cut them out? Because then, the, the, then all of a sudden when you put the flannel graph up of Joseph, he might be missing a head, an arm, you know, or it might be half a Joseph, Okay, so when we cut, okay, we follow, when those of you who sew, for the most part, what do you follow when you're cutting out the fabric? You follow a pattern, you follow the lines, okay? That's the word he uses when he says rightly dividing. Rightly dividing means to cut straight, to cut it accurately. It's used as well when they did, um, in the Roman world, when they did roads, okay, that they cut the roads you know, in a design. It's used for plowing the ground. What do you want to make sure you do when you're putting the furrow in the ground? That to make it straight, to get the most out. That's the word. Cut it straight. And so he said, God commands us to cut the word of God straight. When you think through the verbiage that he uses here, it's a personal command. It's the idea of do it with enthusiasm. And this is to be our primary study our focus, and it's to be done repeatedly, it's to be done carefully. All that applies to God commanding us to study his word. Not just you and me in a group setting, but you and me doing it alone, privately, and doing it not just once in a while, but doing it on a regular basis. Let, Let me go on. This is God's way of speaking to you. When you pick up your Bible and you read, this is the 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 way he speaks to us today. Okay, he's not using the dreams and visions and revelations because when that which is complete is come, then that which is in tidbits shall be done away with. First, P, uh, First Corinthians, chapter thirteen, verses eight through ten. He makes it very clear that the gifts of tongues, the gifts of visions, would fade out when and as the word of God was being inspired, completed, and we use the term inscripturated. That is written down. So Bible reading will provide us spiritual nourishment, the nourishment that we wouldn't have to be ashamed, that it is profitable. Do you remember in, Peter, in Timothy where he writes, it is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So there's a 50-50 there. Some of it is negative, some of it is positive. And so he makes it very clear that this is what the Word of God is beneficial for. Uh, Bible reading will make us a strong... Here's some of the benefits. Okay, it makes us a stronger Christian, that we can perform more of our Christian obligations, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly or thoroughly for, equipped for every good work, that you may grow thereby. Okay, so I read my Bible and it helps me to grow. It's just like food. If I don't eat food, I'm not going to grow. So we have this. Bible reading, another benefit of it, it is giving assurance of salvation. People struggle at times. I did. I don't know about you. When I first got saved and I didn't know any scripture and then I sin and then I go, can I really be saved? Where am I going to get the assurance? Well, somebody told me I got saved. That isn't enough. That isn't good enough. I need to know from God's word. And he says, now watch, we, I don't usually quote it quite this way. But here's, read it, read it through. These things have been written unto you, and there's a phrase, he's writing unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's his audience. These things have been written to you that believe that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Okay, this isn't written to the unsaved, this statement of knowing that you have eternal life. It's written to who? Christians, okay? Yeah, just, just, for, you know, just for curiosity's sake, how many here had any struggles with the assurance of salvation sometime in your Christian life? Okay, most of us did. Okay, it seems like most of us had it, had some difficulties. Okay, and so reading the Bible helps us in that regard. Let's throw another one up. In your prayer life, any of you ever struggle in your prayer life? Is God really hearing me? We don't say that out loud, but it's there. He says, uh, my words abide in you, then you're going to ask what you will. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything, where do we get this from? The word of God. The word of God. He even says, my words abide in you, it's going to help you in your prayer life. And so we read it for that benefit. Here's another benefit. Okay, It's going to keep you pure. You already know the verses. Okay, Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not... Okay, he goes on, you are already clean because of the word. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Uh, The translation I'm using is New King James. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And so what you have here is you have the promise of God is as you take the word in, it's it's like that, that water washing away all the stuff in your life, you know, as it goes through the bucket or the sieve, it's just cleaning it up. Bible reading will increase your joy in the Lord. Okay, any of you ever have those down moments? Okay, get into your Bible. My, your, my joy will remain in you, that your joy may be full. In fact, let's add to it. It'll produce an inner peace. The inner peace that he talks about, he says, these things have I spoken that you may have peace in the world. You're going to have troubles, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And so Jesus is very clearly teaching and giving us the idea that as we read our Bible, there are so many benefits to it. Your word is a lamp to my feet. It's going to guide you. It's going to give you direction. You're going to make those life decisions with wisdom and be able to maintain within the will of God, knowing his ways, his will by getting into the word of God. It'll instruct you into all truth. I'm not sure who to believe. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Study your Bible so that you can discern, so you can understand, so you can can know, uh, okay, what is right, what is wrong. And it'll take time, but you'll get it. It'll make you spiritually productive. We already pointed this out, that every man may be complete. And he talks about in Psalms 1, being like that tree planted by the rivers of water. When you're taking in the word, taking in the word, taking in the word, you become spiritually productive. Give you another uh, idea here. Wisdom to make decisions. Wisdom to make decisions. You know, there's two ways for you to be guided in your life as a believer. One is you're being led by the Spirit of God, you're being guided by His principles, His truth, or you could just do what other people tell you to do. Okay? Well, if you do only what other people tell you to do, and that's your total guide, and by the way, in some churches, does it operate this way? The preacher tells you what you're supposed to do. You know, you you have to toe the line. Well, then who becomes the leader? Who becomes the authority over you? The preacher. That's dangerous. That is absolutely dangerous to give up our spiritual freedoms and say, okay, uh, that, that I'm going to have to go to the spiritual guru. Okay, God never intended that. God intended you to be able to make personal, wise decisions. Now, could you get help from spiritual guides, teachers? Yeah, to help discern things and to try to work out some of those, those areas where there might be tensions or am I understanding this passage? But God did not intend you and me to live under some, God, some people telling us what to do all the time. In fact, isn't that the issue of Jesus' ministry? Didn't he run into a group of people who believed they could tell everybody what to do? 
and what the Pharisees. And you either do what we want or you're not spiritual. And Jesus combated it all the time. He wants you to use some, you know, two God-given blessings that every one of you have. One is a Bible, and the other B is your brain, okay, as you're led by the Spirit of God. So in order to blend those two, you need to be in the Word of God. You need to be in the Word of God. So here's the thought. Bible reading and study will teach you how to deal with life as a whole. Okay, that's a benefit to reading the scriptures. You find what topics are in the Bible that you face on an everyday basis. What's that? Finances. Does the Bible talk a lot about finances? Yes, no? By the way, there's more verses in the Bible about money than there is heaven and hell. The Bible talks a lot about money. What else? Relationships. Which ones? Okay, marriage. Parenting, siblings, co-workers. Is it talked about in scriptures? It is. Your boss and you? It's talked about in scriptures. You and your neighbors? It's talked about in scriptures. You and somebody you have a conflict with? Yeah, it's talked about. It's, it's all there. Um, any other topics in the Bible? Does the Bible talk about how you should dress? It does. It does. Actually, which group of people does it really talk how they're supposed to dress? The females in particular. Okay, it talks about, does it talk about, about what we do with our body? Yeah, yeah, the Bible talks about that. It, it talks about all these areas of our life that it's so clear, so it's very, very important. The Bible study, when we come to it, the only way, and this is, this is where I'm laying foundation so we can build on in the future. The only way we discover, okay, what the author intends to say is through your Bible reading, your Bible study. I, I know I can help you on Sundays and Wednesday nights. I know I, and that's part of what I'm supposed to do. But for you to understand what, your, what the creator author has said, you need to be in the Bible. Now, now here's, here's really important, okay, that we back up and we talk about this, okay? We know that we accept that he's the author. Next week I'll give you my evidential truths for that, uh, or facts. Um, we know that his word is beneficial, Okay, but we have to do our part. We have to listen. We have to cut it straight. We have to rightly divide the Word of God. Okay, so when we approach, we're going to come and we're going to say, okay, according to 2 Timothy 15, it says, you know, that we're supposed to study. You're right there, like right close to it anyway, where he very clearly commands us to study, to read the Bible. Oh, oh can I add something here as we go to 2 Timothy 2.15? Can I add something? How many people at this time had Bibles in their laps? Hardly anybody. And he's writing to the, he's writing to the church. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, who's the pastor of the church of Ephesus. And he's writing and he's saying, now, Timothy, here's where you start. And then you pass this on. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let's take what he says to Timothy. Okay? If you're going to study it, okay, you've got to be reading it personally, eagerly, primarily, repeatedly. Timothy, as a preacher, this has got to be your primary, your primary occupation. You've got to be studying. Now, let, let's take it from preacher point of view. Okay? This is just, do this real quickly. What is my primary job as a preacher, according to scriptures? To be available to help you out with chores around the house? To, to um, you know, if, if, somebody needs, uh, if somebody needs to move, I should be the moving guy? 
for anybody and everybody who needs that? If you're sick and can't mow your lawn, I should be the first one you call. Okay. I am not, I am not, uh, what word do I want to use? I am not uh, afraid of work. I'm not afraid of working physically. That's not the point of, the, of what I'm getting at. Should I be willing to help out anybody who has a need? Just like you should. But by the way, do you have other responsibilities that at times say you can't be available to help people? You all do, right? But some people, for some reason, think, well, the preacher isn't doing anything, so he should be available. Oh, by the way, some preachers make themselves available this way. I'm not busy during the week, so I can help you out in anything. I'm, I'm sorry. It's not that I'm afraid of work. It's not that I'm afraid to help out people. But I have a, a job just like you have a job. Okay. My job primarily is to do what? Study the Word of God so that I can share it with you to build you in your understanding of the Word of God. Not so that I do your studying for you, but I train you how to study the Word of God. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Okay. It's a philosophy of ministry. It's a philosophy of churches. Yes? That the church, churches have to understand this. Otherwise, if a church says, well, the preacher should be available to do the milk. I'm going to take us back a generation or two. The preacher, if we need somebody because we're sick, the preacher should come and milk the cattle for us. So he's the default guy all the time. That can be done by the preacher training people that way. And I think it's a mistake. Because I think according to the Word of God, he's writing Timothy, he's saying, Timothy... You've got to really be focusing in on the Word of God. Now, Timothy, here's a couple of things that you have to keep in mind. Accurate Bible study takes a lot of time. You have to study over and over and over and over again. It's not easy. It's going to be work. You need to do this, Timothy. You've got to do this for the sake of the people. In fact, in the book of Acts, what did the apostles say? We want deacons to help out. Why? So we can give ourselves to... Study and prayer. Okay? And so he says, Timothy, you've got to keep your priorities. And your priority of study is you can't do it quick. If you're going to interpret scriptures and you're going to feed people, it's going to take you time to get a message together. It's going to take you time to do a Bible study. Now, for me, it takes me a long time. That's just because I'm slow. But uh, it's just, it, it, messages do not come quick. They take a lot of effort to put together to make sure we're rightly, accurately dividing the truth. And then also, uh, from my perspective, um, not only do we glean the truth, but then we have to prepare how to present it so that you, you understand it. And not only understand it, but that you comprehend it. You apply it. But I got I to gotta work at also presenting in such a way that you listen. Is that, is that reasonable to say? Because I can just pre- be presenting things, and if I present it in a very boring fashion, what do you do? What do we all do? We, go to, we tune out. Okay, you might go to sleep. Okay. Well, the rest of us just tune. You're in the front row. I spit on you, so you can't. Okay. <laughs> But all that takes time and effort and energy, which is good. There's nothing wrong with it, and I love it. absolutely love it. But his point is, it takes time to do Bible study. When you teach a class, 
Any of you who have taught a lesson, do you ever notice it takes you a lot longer to prepare it than it does to present it? Yeah? Okay. If it doesn't, something's wrong. Okay. Because, but if you're preparing it, boy, it takes a long time. And then you get up and you go, oh, I thought I had 20 minutes worth. I have enough stuff to go for two hours. Ha ha, I'm not the only one. Okay. But that's good. That's okay. So it demands that, Timothy, you put away other stuff. Don't get distracted with other stuff. Focus on this. Now, in your, that's what he's saying to Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, this is the way you have to approach it. And don't get, don't get into the side occupations. Don't get into all these other things. Which, by the way, in the, later in the book, he says, therefore, the church has a responsibility to do what? So that I don't get sidetracked because of all the other things out there. What are you supposed to do? I, I didn't mean to get here, but it's there, okay? You're supposed to provide for me so that I don't have to feel like I get distracted with all these other things. Does that make sense? There's a give and take all the way through. It's amazing how you lay out the book of Timothy, and he deals with all these areas. And he, he makes it very, very clear. And he says, in fact, when it comes to other teaching, look at the next verse. But shun profane and vain babblings. Timothy, get rid of the traditionalism. Get rid of the speculations. Are, are there a lot of speculations when it comes to Bible study? Do you know what I mean by that? You know, well, maybe, maybe, um, what do I, where, what, what illustration should I use that doesn't offend? <laughs> um, speculations. We can, we can get all tied into things that are, that, are, that are not clear in Scripture. And we can spend so much time in stuff that's not there. Um, we, can, we can get all distracted with... Um, What's that? Rabbit trails theologically. Yeah, yeah, a lot of rabbit trails theologically. We can get all excited about the dynamics of, you know, um, here's one that somebody brought to me years ago, and I've used it as an illustration. When they were drilling in Russia, which nobody could prove, when they were drilling in Russia, they went so deep that all of a sudden when they pulled the drill out, they, they got down to hell. And they could hear through the tube all the screaming and all this stuff, you know, from the sounds. And if we would just get the video for that and show it to people, we wouldn't need to preach anymore. We could just show them that video and they'd get saved. Okay. My retort to that is Abraham to the rich man in hell. He says they have the prophets, and if they do not believe the prophets, they will not believe all this other stuff. Because we can get all this other stuff and get distracted. Uh, I don't care. I, you, you may not like this. I don't care if they find Noah's Ark or not. It doesn't change my faith one bit that it happened. In fact, if they do find Noah's Ark, people will start worshiping the thing anyway. Yeah. So I don't need Noah's Ark, and that doesn't need to be the focus of all my attention of where Noah's Ark is to prove the Bible. We don't need that. Okay, there's other evidences that are plentiful enough that we don't need those types of things. And so to get distracted with all that peripheral you know, speculation or repetitions or empty speech or ideas, he says, don't, don't get up and preach opinions. Don't get up and teach ideas. Teach the Word. Teach the word. We, we have a little plaque. We had a little plaque up here, and then when we rebuilt, we took it off. But it says, Sirs, we would see Jesus. 
Okay, from that John chapter 12 passage. And so there's two approaches when it comes to studying the Bible. And this is where I'm getting at. That's so important that we're supposed to do. There is a reader-driven approach and there is an author-driven approach. Let me explain. I'm going to have to stop here. Reader-driven is the idea that what you think makes the determination of your, 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 your interpretation. How you feel what you get out of it, okay? Basically this, how it moves me, what, it, what I think it says or what I like it to say, what we think is real or miraculous. That is how we interpret it. Every one of those phrases is dangerous for interpretation. Every one of them, okay? Why? It's all focused on who? We. Who therefore dictates how we approach the Bible. Me. Me. If it, if it affects me, if it makes me feel good, then I accept it. Then it's good for me. Really? Really? What if you don't like a portion of it? What if you don't agree with a portion of it? Do you remember when you were first saved, there was a lot of things you didn't agree with? Did that discount those passages? What if your kids say this? We will obey and do what you say as long as we like it. We will listen to you as long as it makes us feel good. We will follow your directions as long as, you, as, long as we think they're good directions. Would that create for mayhem? What if at work the employees all operated this way? We will do the job the way we want to do the job. We will determine the rules here at the plant. Is there any Bible verse that that kind of reminds you of or book in the Bible? Such as, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes, and where did it lead to? Okay, here's what I'm driving at. I cannot, you should not, we should not interpret the Bible based upon what we think. Because it's very subjective. We should interpret the, God, the Bible from what the author, who he is, and what he says. Whether we like it or not. Whether we agree with it or not. It's from God. It's authoritative. That's, re, that's author-driven. That I interpret the Bible to say, this is what God intended to say. Period. That's it. Whether I, here's, here's um, we'll, we'll talk about this in a week. There's a whole different school of thought. In semin- some seminaries, it's taught this way. It is, um, it is a point of view that says the Bible is God's word when it speaks to you. Okay? What does that do with a lot of scriptures? What does it do with the book of Leviticus for most of us? Most of us, the book of Leviticus doesn't really speak to us. And motivate us, inspire us. Okay, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but genealogies don't typically, wow, that's good. You know, what did I learn from that? That's not our normal response. But if I say it's inspired only when it speaks to me, then what does it say about the rest of the Bible? Those areas that don't thrill me. Then they're not inspired. Then if they're not inspired, what could be in those portions? Mistakes? Inaccuracies? What's that? False teaching, yeah, but it's, it's, it's not inspired. 
And so that point of view diminishes the Word of God. Reader, author-driven says it is all inspired, it is all from the mouth of God, therefore it is all authoritative. It's a totally different approach. And so you and I would have to answer this question. These are two major approaches that you'll find in commentaries, you'll find in seminaries, you'll find from the pulpit. Two different types of viewpoints of teaching and bringing out the Word of God. Which one do you think is better? Author-driven or reader-driven? It's got to be author-driven, okay? How do we best do it then is the question. If I believe it's author-driven, how do I best approach it? By letting the author speak to him for himself. He's got to explain what he's thinking. I need to know the author. I need to, first of all, start off knowing who the author is so he can speak to me. And then, here's the benefit. When you and I get to know the author of Scripture, and we come to him in our faith and we have a relationship with him, what does he put inside of us? The Holy Spirit. What is one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the Word of God? To give us the understanding of what the author is intending. He tells us, he speaks to us, and the Word of God all of a sudden becomes alive to us. Why? Because the author is explaining it to us. The author, Holy Spirit, is telling us what he meant. And all of a sudden, this author-driven is just so important. It, is, it gets harder to understand when you're not close to the Lord. If you're not spirit-led, if you're not spirit-filled, then your Bible study kind of, you know, it, it, which goes first? You know, the chicken there came first, the egg or the chicken. It's the same type of thing. When you walk away from the Lord's, you know, your understanding of the Bible depletes. Your understanding of the Bible depletes, you know, and you, get, and you stop reading it, you, then you're walking away from the Lord. And so it goes hand in hand. Your fellowship, your closeness to God, God is based upon your intensity in the scriptures so that he can speak to you. Now, as you approach it, you have to be very careful, okay, that we insist upon the meaning, we, that we don't insist upon what we like or what we want. There are several ground rules that we need to start with, and I want to give you those ground rules. I don't have time to, I'll, I'll go too fast. Let's just pause right here. Let's pick up next week the ground rules for studying, and then let's talk about how do you answer somebody who says, is my Bible from God? Is it really God's Word? How do you know that, that it comes from God? I want to show you some of those evidences and experiences that can build and help you to go in by faith saying, I'm going to get on that plane because I know certain things about that plane. That same thing when you come to the Word of God. Let's stop right here and let's get ready for worship.